Good to see you all this morning. Oh, I've got my ominous title behind me. I feel like I needed the Star Wars Imperial March as I came up here. And don't worry, this is not a sermon about Ames, Iowa, or Iowa State, so... seeing if you're awake. Uh, There are many places on earth that are hostile to humans. Uh, One of them is Antarctica. This is a photo of an encampment of a trans-Antarctic expedition. The interior of the continent averages a very cold, minus 71 degrees Fahrenheit. Coastal areas are much warmer, averaging 14 degrees Fahrenheit. This is a map uh, that you can see uh, Antarctica at the Earth's south. And then uh, the size is very deceptive. So someone superimposed it over the United States, and this is what it looks like. I know. It's big, like really, really, really big. It's huge. One of Antarctica's biggest attractions, if you can call it that, is the South Pole. This is uh, the Admonson Scott South Pole Station. It is a building or set of buildings at the Earth's geographic South Pole. The set of buildings house a number of scientific research teams. There are about 200 people living there right now. Uh, This is their fortress, their foundation, their lifeline in a very hostile land. Uh, And then here you can see the actual South Pole. Woo! We have a pole, folks, at the Geographic South Pole. It's that pole on the right side. There's a plaque commemorating it and the United States flag. I don't know why the US flag gets, yeah, I don't. Yeah, okay, we'll we'll just set that aside for a moment. Um, This is really close to the buildings, and you can view all this on Google Maps. It's super fun to to hone in on. Um, Fun fact, if you're at this actual pole, and you're standing like right next to it, and you take a step in any direction, you go north. Fun fact number two, every few months, I know, think about it, boom. Okay, every few months, some of the researchers move the pole a few centimeters because the Earth's geographic south pole keeps moving. It's moving because the ice of Antarctica is moving. The, the whole continent itself is shifting because continental, you know, shifts. That too, drifts. That's the word. Um, and then, by the way, the Earth isn't quite a perfect rotation around its axis. It's, it's got a little wobble to it, which makes me stay up at night thinking crazy existential thoughts, but that's just me. Um, but there's a little wobble, so it's not precise where the pole is. But let's pretend we're close enough. Okay. So, um, you know, the South Pole, it's, uh, it's a hostile place. And uh, the building, the station, makes it a little less hostile. The Christian tradition teaches us that God is everywhere. There is no place that God is not, including the most hostile places on earth. This is challenging when we think about extreme places like Antarctica. So if we go back to that expedition, imagine you're there. It's minus 80 degrees Fahrenheit, and there's a blizzard. You've pitched your tent. You can't hear conversation because the wind is blowing so loudly. And you start to pray, and you call out to God, 
Can you access God's presence there? That's the challenge. This is the Christian confession, God present in all these places. And what's more is that God is present in places of natural danger, natural hostility. But the Christian confession is that God is also in places where human beings have made hostile places. Dangerous places like war zones, places of ethnic or racial violence, places of physical or emotional abuse. If God is present in hostile places, in what sense is that true? If there continues to be bad outcomes and dangerous things happening in those places, how is it that God is still present there? Well, there's a story in the Bible that very well illustrates God's presence in hostile places, and that is the story of Jonah. Jonah, the prophet, famously swallowed by a giant fish. The fish in this image looks a little bored to me. Like, can I just get back to my life? Is this, why am I doing this errand? Um, After three days of living inside a fish, some of y'all grew up thinking it was a whale because that's what you're told. Whale is not quite as accurate. It's probably a fish in the translation. But anyway, it could be a whale, whatever you want. Um, He's swallowed by a fish, lives there for three days, and then uh, God calls him back to a very hostile place, which we'll look at in just a moment. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's pick it up at the beginning of the story. Here's how it begins in Jonah chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Go at once to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah set out to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, So he paid his fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So the book opens with our hero, Jonah, fleeing from the presence of God. Now the narrator is fully in on the joke, okay? The narrator understands that you can't outrun God, but Jonah's going to try. And we, dear reader, with Jonah, will go with him. Jonah's like a toddler, just doing the opposite of whatever you tell the toddler. Um, Anyone ever try the reverse psychology trick on your toddler? And it just never worked because they can, like, figure it out. Like, they understand what it is. Anyway, this is Jonah going the opposite direction. The reason Jonah flees is because God calls him to go to the most hostile place that Jonah can imagine. It is Nineveh, which is the capital city of the Assyrian Empire, the most hated enemy of Jonah and all Israel. The Assyrian Empire at the time was a dominant, ruthless superpower. It conquered people ruthlessly, committed great violence and devastation wherever it went. This beginning is a little bit like God telling President Zelensky of Ukraine to go to Moscow. See how you will be received there. Jonah doesn't like this plan, so he runs in the opposite direction. 
Now, uh, let's look at the story here, the language. He, in the very middle there, he went down to Joppa. The word in ancient Hebrew there, went down, is the same verb as to descend, okay? So Jonah is going to descend, and I have a little map here. It's going to show us. He descends to Joppa. You can see Joppa on the coast of the Mediterranean, and then he's going to flee in the opposite direction of Nineveh, basically, as far away as you can go. That's Tarshish, like on Spain. That's our best guess where that is. So that's where he goes. Jonah goes down to Joppa. It's down in elevation. You know, he's probably in the high country. He goes down to the coast. But Jonah's not done going down. In the next scene, a big storm comes on the ship. And the sailors are trying to bail and save their ship from from being exploded by the storm. And where's Jonah? Jonah has gone down. He's in the belly of the ship in the cargo bay. And he's fast asleep. So Jonah's gone down physically as far as you can go in the ship. He's gone down mentally and emotionally too. Like the dude is just checked out. I will not, you know, face reality right now. (sighs) And still Jonah's not done going down. After a brief dialogue with the sailors, they reluctantly throw him overboard where he's swallowed by a large fish and taken down, down, down to the bottom of the Mediterranean Sea where he contemplates life, death, and whether he ought not have become a lawyer instead of prophet, as his mother suggested. (laughs) Now, Jonah's rapid descent here is a metaphor. It is a metaphor for going away from the presence of God. Because where is God? Where is God? God is up, directionally, right? I mean, that's, that's what we think of. God is up, so because God is in the heavens, first of all, but also God is up usually in places of revelation, like mountaintops. And this happens in the Bible a lot. Moses gets the Ten Commandments on the mountains. Elijah meets God. Uh, Jesus is transfigured on the mountaintops. Lots of things happen on mountaintops. That's where God is. So the closer you go up, you're going to God. Also, the temple is on a mountaintop. It's up. There's a set of psalms in the Bible called the Psalms of Ascent. And the image is we're walking towards the temple. We're going up and up and up the mountain of the temple. And with every step, we start to pray. And we take a moment to pray these psalms of ascent. We are ascending to God. We're praying and worshiping God as we ascend. Jonah (laughs) is doing the opposite. He's going down, down, down. And he lands under mountain, under sea, under land, in the belly of the beast. Jonah's in a hostile place. He's stuck. And he prays to God. The entire second chapter of Jonah is his prayer. It's first person. It's like a diary entry. Uh, I'm not going to read the full thing, but I'm going to read a few lines from it. This is from Robert Alter's translation. He's a scholar. Water lapped about me to the neck. The deep came round me. Weed was bound round my head. To the roots of the mountains I went down. The world's underbolts against me forever. It's very Tolkien sounding to me. 
the roots of the mountains. It's a, it's a lovely image. It's almost like, it's very geographically precise, you know, because it really is, if you think about the under the ocean, it's the base, the root of mountains. Um, but it's also, again, that flip-flop, the upside down, not the top of the mountain where God might be associated with, the revelation of God, but the bottom. And then the bars, the underworld's bolts, it's the same word we would use for bars of a prison or the strong gates of a city. It's locking Jonah in or locking people out, however we use that image. This place feels like a prison to Jonah, and it is a prison to Jonah. Now, I know that none of us have ever been locked in a fish's belly at the bottom of the sea, I'm guessing. Anyone? Get up and testify. It's your moment. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but many of us have found in ourselves in places that can feel like prisons. Unfortunately, we human beings excel at making places bad. We can take places that are supposed to be hospitable and nurturing, and we can turn them into prisons. We do this sometimes in our homes, in our schools, in our workplaces, in our hospitals. Entire cities and nations can become hostile places. As many of you know, our church is sponsoring a pair of Ukrainian siblings who are moving from Europe to here. Uh, When Russia invaded Ukraine, their hometown of Kherson came under heavy attack, and overnight, their home became hostile. So they fled. Fortunately, uh, through a friend of a friend, I was able to meet these siblings and speak with them over Zoom and start the process whereby our church could sponsor their coming. And they're uh, planning to arrive this week and move here. Jonah can't get out of his hostile place. He's stuck. And he does perhaps the only thing he can do. He prays. And there's a turn in the prayer. So we saw his first person diary, right? He's, He's stuck in prison. But there's a turn in the prayer. To the roots of the mountains I went down, the underworld's bolts against me forever, but you brought up my life from the pit. Oh, Lord, my God, but you, but God. Very simple turn where Jonah has a sense of God's presence and God's rescue. He talks about the rescue, in fact, as though it's already happened. It's in the past tense. You brought up my life from the pit even though he's still stuck in a very bad, bad place. Now, the rescue does come, but it's not going to go quite the way Jonah wants it to go. The fish vomits Jonah out onto dry ground. Um, And I use that word vomit very intentionally because that's the Hebrew word, vomit. If you are ever vomited out by a creature, you're in a good story. Just take a moment, take stock of the story you are in. 
Um, in fact, there's, this is like classical mythical literary trope stuff at this point. Um, a lot of stories. You enter the creature and you come out alive. Star Wars, Men in Black, uh, <laughs> Guardians of the Galaxy 2, right? You, you're okay. You're with me. Um, here it is in the Bible, folks. We've got ours. This is it. Um, I found a couple others just for fun. This one, it looks like the Yippie Yuck and Shel Silverstein that won't let go. And then finally, I was curious what an AI would do with this, so I typed in the prompt, fish vomiting the prophet Jonah in the style of Salvador Dali. (laughs) Just brace yourselves, folks, for what's coming. (sighs) This is brilliant. This is like Jordan Poole's nope. The movie, nope. Lots of no. I've not seen that movie. Okay, that's fine. Uh, okay, there you have it. Folks on the podcast, sorry, you're not seeing this. Um, all right, let's keep going. Jonah recovers on the beach, and again, he hears the voice of God. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Get up. <laughs> God is so funny in the Bible sometimes. I mean, this is, get up, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out to it the call that I speak to you. And Jonah got up and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. And Nineveh was a great city of gods, a three days walk across. And Jonah began to come into the city one day's walk, and he called out and said, 40 days more, and Nineveh is overthrown. (sighs) This is Jonah being rescued from the belly of one beast, only to be told to go into the belly of another beast. From one hostile place in the natural world to a hostile place in a the human world, Nineveh, the worst place on earth, according to Jonah. Violent, ruthless empire. It is here that Jonah must somehow confront the enormous tension of a bad, bad place with God's compassion and kindness and God's presence somehow in the midst of it. How? There's a big neon arrow pointing to this tension uh, that we just read, and I'll put it back on the screen. It's right in the middle. The narrator calls Nineveh a great city of gods. A great city of gods. This is God's possession. Nineveh belongs to God. Nineveh, the capital of the Assyrian Empire, the chief enemy of Israel, the one that conquers Israel, commits grave acts of violence and devastation. Nineveh, like Israel, is a people and a land under God's care and compassion. Nineveh, like Israel, is a place in which God is pleased to dwell 
And if God's presence can be found even in Nineveh, even in the belly of a fish at the bottom of the Mediterranean, then surely God's presence can be known in every place, even the most hostile we can imagine. We're not going to read any further in the book of Jonah, but, you know, it works out for Jonah, mostly. He survives. And he survives two hostile places, the belly of one beast in the natural world, the belly of another beast in the human world. And I think we need to recognize and acknowledge that sometimes it doesn't work out, though, for human beings in hostile places. There are lots of times where it does not go well. But the book of Jonah sparkles, not because it's promising good outcomes, but because of this tension it's inviting us to consider. The baffling assertion that God is present even in the worst of places. This is one of those unresolvable conflicts that we see in the Bible and that is present in our faith. That God's compassion and kindness is everywhere. Always. Accessible in every place, even the worst of places. When we apply that lens, it can be very, very difficult to consider that. Accessing God's presence when things are good and hospitable and nurturing, thumbs up. Accessing God's presence in hostile places where there's threat and harm and danger, how do we do it? What does it mean? I don't think that we can resolve this tension. It's not one to be resolved. Instead, it is to be lived. It is to be known, to be experienced. It is to be experienced with each other, to get help when we need it. The story of Jonah doesn't resolve it as much as it provokes. It invites us to consider this, God's compassion in every place, including hostile places. God is in Nineveh. God is in Antarctica, at the bottom of the sea. God is in Moscow. God is in North Korea. God is among the cartels in Mexico. God is even in America. I want to invite us into a prayer practice, uh, as we often do. I just want to give us a moment to pray and access God's presence. We call out to God. We confess God with us. And we hope that we can just know and experience God's presence, God's compassion and kindness. So if you're willing, let's try that for a moment. So I invite you to get comfortable in your chair. We're going to pray together and try that. And I'm going to invite you in the prayer to think of or consider a place where maybe you experience some hostility. Could be a place you work at, school, hospital, any place. If there's not something currently, you could think about something in the past or just enjoy this as a prayer exercise, meeting God's presence where you are. God with us, we seek your presence here in this place. Thank you for the safe, hospitable place here where we can access you. We also hear your invitation, O God, 
to seek you in places that are hostile to us. Help us to see you, to know you there, your compassion and kindness. So I invite you to silently name or imagine a place that's come to mind, perhaps a hostile place to you. And then I invite you to silently ask God, where are you? Or where were you, God, in that place? Open our eyes to you, O God. God, even as we look for your rescue, help us to access your presence, your nearness. Help us to know your kindness and compassion. And help us to be messengers, people who embody that compassion and kindness in the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen.